Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we have a new series for you all today. We're going to start doing a team preview series. Last year, I knocked these out in solo pods, but I'm already doing Fantasy Files ones. As much as you all might like hearing my voice, you probably don't need two or three podcasts per day. So I have my good friend, good co-worker, you hear him every single Wednesday on here, Andrew Erickson, to help me break down every single team throughout the NFL. We're going to be going division by division over the next eight weeks, get you set up a before the season starts and today we're beginning with the nfc south but first andrew we're recording at 10 a.m usually we're 3 p.m'ers i found out that you're a morning person i'm not but i'm rolling with the punches great day to be great as always how's it going man yes it is going great i had my early morning workout and this time i was going on a cleanse i was trying to stay off the pre-workout but i had a relapse i went back to it and it was glorious i had, had a great workout and i still got some of that energy so hopefully we can use it on the podcast just want to note, I am the king of coffee mugs. I got this one right here saying the dog father. And, you know, <laughs> just saying. Could be me. Got a little wiener dog on it. I love it. Anyway, we are going to be starting with the NFC South, everybody. I want to answer five main questions per team. The defining question for each team, what's the big note that we need to focus on? Their most underutilized player. You know, this can be a great player that we just think should be fed the ball more or a backup running back, not use at all. Obviously, we'll explain when we get to that. Our favorite fantasy value pick, our wild card scenario, which is basically like, what's a weird thing that could happen? You know, could a guy get hurt? Could a wide receiver three rise up to the top of a, you know, un uneven pecking order? We shall see. And finally, we'll close with our pick for the over-under. Get a couple division picks on the way out and we'll try to keep this crisp Andrew let's start things off with the Atlanta Falcons what is your defining question for the 2021 Atlanta Falcons how does Arthur Smith impact the change in the offense so what is his role now fused with Matt Ryan fused with these different playmakers because this offense looks way different from a personnel than the Tennessee Titans so we can't just copy and paste what Arthur Smith did in Tennessee and just apply it to the Falcons we can take bits and pieces from and specifically two areas that I've honed in on are the red zone and play action so basically Arthur Smith leveraged Ryan Tannehill with play action highest rate the past two seasons and that's what we saw Matt Ryan be the most successful in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan he led the NFL in play action during his MVP season in the last two years Ryan hasn't finished more higher than 22nd overall in play action rate so that's one aspect that we should see efficiency improve for Matt Ryan and especially in the red zone that's the other area of the field that the Falcons have really struggled that's why young Hoku is getting all this buzz as a friggin' dope ass kicker because they kicked a lot but the Tennessee Titans kickers have been terrible because their offense has been good in the red zone because that's really more predictive of actual kicking stats. Sorry, kicker rant. But Atlanta's basically rate, you know, their touchdown per drive in the red zone is ranked 28th last year, and no team has had a higher touchdown per drive right inside the opponent's 20-yard line than the Tennessee Titans last year. So I'm looking forward to seeing this offense be better in the red zone. Maybe Julio Jones was the problem. I, I would never say that, but at the same time, you know, Julio was not a... They didn't use him in the red zone. So we'll see if Kyle Pitts can kind of fill in that role. Arthur Smith leaned on the tight ends a lot in the red zone on the Titans. So Kyle Pitts kind of profiles as a guy that have a role there. I think you've already broken the record for most kicker talk on an episode <laughs> of this podcast, but good points. I'm going to go with, will Kyle Pitts be an all-world tight end from day one? Because that's where he is being drafted. Like, I don't disagree with the consensus of this guy being the tight end five. I have him ranked there myself. I have not gotten him in one best ball draft yet because you Looney Tunes out there are taking this guy like in the fifth round. <laughs> I think he's going to be awesome too. I mean, I did an article before the draft where I just looked at, you know, like five tool receivers. You know, we talk about this in base 
baseball a lot with what they can do. And I said, okay, what are the elite receiver prospects that have speed, size, hands, route running, and playmaking? Jamar Chase is a little bit smaller, I think, than people know, so he didn't quite qualify. Our guy Nico Collins was actually pretty close, but Kyle Pitts was the only qualified tight end or wide receiver that checked each of those boxes in terms of just the metrics he was putting up. Highest single season grade from a college pass catcher in the PFF era. I mean, one of my uh, favorite uh, analysts in this industry, Justin Boone, over with the score, you know, one of his bull calls, he had an article come out that Pitts will break Mike Ditka's longstanding 12 touchdown record for rookie tight ends. And the fact that Ditka, and this, this is crazy, man, 1961, Mike Ditka, 14 game season, 56 catches, 1,076 yards, and 12 scores as a rookie tight end in 1961. But Justin's saying that, you know, he thinks Pitts could break that rookie record. That is in his range of outcomes. This guy could be an immediate top three tight end because he should have tried to help his bank account and call himself a wide receiver from day one. If they use him as a one-for-one replacement with Julio, I think the hype will be deserved. Here's to hoping that we don't see week one come along and all of a sudden Hayden Hurst is trotted out there and they're just like, you know, we want to bring Kyle along slowly, don't want to put too much on his plate. Like that's the worst case scenario there. But I think the talent is in place for Pitts to be worthy of the hype as long as that usage is there, which as long as rational coaching is there, it should be as well. Andrew, who's your most underutilized player on the Atlanta Falcons? I mean, it's it's your guy, Ian. Cordero Patterson. <laughs> your, your, your Slack Avi in the PFF Slack account, Cordero <laughs> Patterson. Again, look, they're hyping him up a little bit. He's getting a little bit of buzz. Again, I don't expect him to actually have fantasy value on his own, but he is a player that we've seen be really versatile as a kick returner, as a wide receiver, as a running back. And I think he's going to have a legitimate role that's going to eat into Mike Davis's reception totals. Like, I think that's actually going to happen. Um, and I don't necessarily know how often this team is going to utilize the running backs overall in the passing game. Again, Arthur Smith, we like to carry over all the good things he did with the Tennessee Titans. One thing that he never did was throw the ball to the running backs. Like, he never did that. So I don't think we can just assume that Mike Davis is going to see the same type of reception and target load that he saw in Carolina, which was an offense that was built for fantasy football running backs. Like, that's not necessarily the case here with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, the PFF fantasy projections have Patterson slated for 45 targets, which is 24th at the position and just six fewer than Mike Davis. You also have a connection with the new Falcons offensive coordinator, Dave Ragone. Again, obviously, Arthur Smith is kind of the orchestrator of the offense, but Dave Ragone as the OC is going to have some input. He spent last season as a passing game coordinator with the Chicago Bears, who obviously there's some familiarity with Cordero Patterson in that role. So, I mean, they gave him, it's not a lot of money, but they didn't give Mike Davis a lot of money either. So <laughs> I, I think Patterson could have a bigger role than he had last year with the Bears. Throw out this 2020 Mickey Mouse season where we didn't have fans and stuff, and you will see the number one yards per carry leader in NFL history, minimum 100 carries, is none other than Cordero Patterson. Not his fault. Matt Nagy's offense had to throw that off uh, last season. But yeah, I just want to make one thing clear because this is always a fun debate on Twitter. Cordero is the best kick returner of all time. That does not mean the best returner of punts and kicks. Just kickoffs. Nobody is better than Cordero. And that that includes Devin Hester. On their careers, CPAT, eight career kick return touchdowns. Hester has five. CPAT, 29.8 yards per kick return. Hester, 24.9. And Hester has freaking 56 more career kick returns. And Hester already has these better numbers. Hopefully, we get another one of those glorious Skycam returns where, you know, it's just showing him the whole way, looking great down the field. Love the call. I'm going to go with Russell Gage because he was actually low-key PFF's number one 
passer last year in total passing grade. I mean, this dude hit Julio in the mouthpiece in that Cowboys game, somehow dropped it. And then he threw a dart under pressure against the Chargers, I believe, and uh, hit Ridley or someone for another score. So two throws, maybe he's a system quarterback. You know, Mohamed Sanu was having a lot of success out of the slot as well when they asked him to throw. But either way with Gage, I mean, he is someone where I think when you go back and look at his tape, you know, I'm a sucker for these uh, late night, you know, NFL highlights, best route running of 2020 and all that. And you'll see gauge pop up uh, with some truly uh, nice cuts here and there so the question you know who's going to be a number two here gauge or Kyle Pitts we'll see I do have a feeling that uh, gauge will ultimately you know take a little bit more of a back seat which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago when you know I think we might begin to our next player Andrew and that is our favorite fantasy value pick could it be a Lamide Zakaias you mean Zacchaeus. the wizard, of, the wizard of Oz? Like that's his, that's his nickname. <laughs> Thank I'm, I'm calling you. Thank it, I'm you. calling it right now. Wizard so of Oz. So much easier. <laughs> because he was good last year when he got opportunities, when he was playing at least 74% of the snaps, averaged 11.8 fantasy points per game. And he outproduced Russell Gage in those games. So he's got big play upside on the outside. He is a smaller wide receiver. He's not over six feet tall. So again, I don't necessarily expect him to be towering over defenders, but with so much of the defenses occupied with the Kyle Pitts, with the Calvin Ridley, I think that he's going to have some decent games and he's free. Like he's so free you can get, and he could be the starting receiver on the outside, depending on how they deploy Kyle Pitts. How much is Kyle Pitts playing on X? How much is he playing in line? Look, he was a former 2019 undrafted free agent, but I think that he could be a starter. And I think that at the end of the year, they could him and Gage could be pretty similar, but the value is just with my guy, the Wizard of Oz. Per Tory McElhaney from The Athletic, uh, he does appear to have the number three wide receiver role at the moment. Three career games with five-plus targets, eight catches, 86 yards, four catches, 41 yards, four catches, 103 yards, and a score. Gotta love your small sample sizes. But yeah, people, it's not even about that. It's about what he could have moving forward in 2021. Matt Ryan's typically operating one of the more pass-heavy offenses. And like you said, completely free. He's absolutely going to beat his current fantasy consensus rank. Andrew, what's your wild card scenario for this offense? Um, I hate to say it because he's a big friend of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast that Mike Davis just he fails to live up to the expectations that are put Ouch. on him. Ouch. I, I, th I think that we're looking at him and we're looking at the depth chart and we we don't see a lot of guys there. We see a bunch of dudes like Javion Hawkins, undrafted guy, Quadri Allison. Yeah, that's what it looks like on the surface, but... Why are they getting hype at all? Like, why are the coaches talking about them having roles? Why are they talking about having a running back by committee? Why are they talking about not operating a Derrick Henry offense? Like, I just see them using more of these other backs than I think that the fantasy community is looking at. That's the way I look at it. I mean, Quadri Ellison is a goal line back, like six foot one, 231 pounds. In 2019, that's what his role was as a rookie. Like, that's all he did was take goal line carries. And that was actually something it really stood out to me heading into the 2020 season. I thought that maybe he could carve out a role, but he just ended up not really taking another step forward. And Javian Hawkins, again, an undrafted rookie free agent. I thought he was really good. Like coming out, I was really surprised that he went undrafted. Uh, there were apparently some off the field issues, which, which was the reason why he slipped into the draft. But the thing is like all these running backs, like alone, they don't have anything that Mike Davis can't do in terms of his full three down skill set. but they all have niches that could potentially slowly eat away at some of Mike Davis. So Olison could be a goal line vulture. Javian Hawkins is an explosive running back. So they may try to use him more in the screen game. And then you have Cordero Patterson where he could eat into the reception. So just bits and pieces here and there. I just don't know if we have a three down running back role in this offense, which is different from Carolina, which that role existed. We know it was in that offense. And Mike Davis was obviously a beneficiary of that role last year. 
Yeah, when I was breaking down every, uh, you know, just backfield and trying to see who the top handcuffs were in fantasy football, I had three teams in my final tier, which was just labeled who the hell knows what's going on here to begin <laughs> with. The Jets, the Texans, and the Falcons. Like, yeah, Davis can be a three-down back. He was last year. Maybe Michael Carter can be. Maybe David Johnson can be. But we don't even know, like, what the rotation is going to be there. Is the number one running back in these offenses going to be an 80% snap guy? Or is it going to be a 40% guy? And as Mike Davis, you know, has that, you know, floor – he also has the ceiling where he could be an RB1, which is where yeah. I took this because I'm a glass half full guy, Andrew. <laughs> and I think that Mike Davis, who forced more missed tackles per rush than every running back other than Nick Chubb, averaged more yards per carry than teammate Christian McCaffrey, averaged the same amount of yards after contact per rush as Kamara and Jonathan Taylor. I do think he can win out in this situation. You know, I know Arthur Smith, we haven't gotten the Derrick Henry comp yet. Maybe he'll start experimenting with some microdosing or something like that before the season starts. Get frisky. He sees those thighs. He starts to think maybe he's back in Tennessee. Who knows weirder things have happened, but that shows you the wide range of outcomes that Mike mm -hmm. Davis has. So yes, you know where he was going before the quote unquote RB dead zone round four, round five. No, please don't draft Mike Davis. But as people realize this, as they get sharper and begin to take those wide receivers, I'm okay taking this chance on Mike Davis around six or seven when it's between him and, you know, a wide receiver 30 or something, just not so much when it's between him and a top 20 talent. Andrew, we're using uh, win totals courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. Over under is set at seven and a half for the Falcons. Remember, we got 17 games. What do you have them finishing? It's never, it never feels great to back the Atlanta Falcons as a team, but I'm going back to it. Over seven and a half wins for the Atlanta Falcons. I know the defense still sucks. 30, 31st ranked defensive line, 32nd ranked secondary heading into 2021. But I do think that just a new coaching staff is going to really help this team to stop blowing fourth quarter leads. Like if you look at the team last year, 18th in scoring margin. So they were an average team in terms of points scored, but they lost half of their games by one score. Like that's the big thing. And that's not something that you see carry over year after year, just more competent coaching, just Arthur Smith being like, guys, like we're going to win this game. Like, let's just finish it instead of them just collapsing like left and right, where it becomes a punchline on Twitter every single week, the Falcons blew it again. So I do think that, I mean, if they even just cut that in half, they, so they won four games last year, they're able to win four of the one score games that they lost last year. That gets them the eight wins. And I think that the offense is good enough to help them win that many games. I'm going to go under. I do think it's a pretty good line. I, I could just see Matt Ryan becoming an awfully average quarterback without Julio Jones. And I know we live in a world where people actually think that Baker Mayfield could be better off without his number one wide receiver. But I have an article on this topic coming out this weekend. And really around the league, because we have so many young quarterbacks or just situations where there's not like a defined number one receiver that has missed much time, there's only really five situations that I found that kind of are applicable to this idea of like how is a quarterback without their wide receiver one baker and beckham drew lock and Cortland sudden even that one's iffy patrick mahomes and tyree kill aaron Rodgers and Devonte adams that one's even a little rough because you know they were together for a couple years before Devonte was even the one but then matt ryan and julio jones and this is the only one that actually kind of works in terms of having a large sample size we have 142 games of matt ryan with julio 27 games without pff passing grade with julio 94.5 without 74.6 yards per attempt drops by 0.8 big time throw rate down 1.5 percent turnover worthy play up 0.6 percent ryan was the only quarterback studied to be significantly worse in every category without his wide receiver one which makes sense it's julio free 
freaking Jones, of course. But I just think that, you know, if you take away Matt Ryan being an above average quarterback, potentially, I don't know how the Falcons are going to be an above average team. So given the under, I would say in general, though, I would be staying away, I think, from this line as it uh, stands. And we got pretty even juice on both sides. So do with that what you may. Andrew, we're moving on to the Carolina Panthers now. What's your defining question for their season? And why is it if Sam Darnold will suck or not? <laughs> Can Sam Darnold lift this offense to glory is the way that I define the question. Nice. And I'll just, I, we've, we've talked about Sam Darnold a lot on this from his quarterback rating under a clean pocket. But the one thing I want to just kind of emphasize here is the Carolina offensive line is not good. They are PFF's 31st ranked offensive line heading into 2021. And that's been Darnold's problem. Like he's been under pressure his entire life since he's been in the NFL faced the highest pressure rate 42% over the past two seasons. And that's when he's been at his worst. So again, that's the big issue here. He, he's not going to be able to overcome pressure. He's never been able to do it. Most quarterbacks can't. So it's not, not necessarily on him that he can't improve. I think that he can at best, maybe he could be an average quarterback with better playmakers. I think that's the key point. He does have better playmakers than he's ever had with the jets, but the offensive line is still a big issue in terms of pass protection. So I think that, is an issue for Donald. Yeah, and the thing with Darnold, like he gets pressure a lot and people tend to kind of say, use that as like, a, oh, hey, you know, it's not his fault. He's been pressured. Sam Darnold last year was top 10 in the longest time to throw. And if you look at the guys that are populating the top 10, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Taysom, Josh <laughs> Allen, Deshaun Watson, you know, Baker, Mahomes, Wentz, Cam. Like Sam Darnold, you're not that guy, pal. Like quit holding on to the damn ball so long. That's half the problem. And PFF has done studies on this showing that pressure tends to be more indicative of the quarterback than the offensive line so that's not going to help him he has the weapons around him i'm sure he can you know put up some level of yards but yeah i just do not see the touchdowns coming and as i'm you know basically contractually obliged to at this point i need to point out that Tannehill was so much better with the dolphins than sam Darnold was with the jets Darnold 49th among 70 qbs in pff passing grade 46 in big time throw rate 44th in terms of worthy play rate when Tannehill was with the dolphins he was 25th 30th and 41st in those matches not amazing, but as a converted freaking college wide receiver, it makes more sense that Tannehill came out like that versus Darnold, who has just been awful since coming to the league. But that's the question, because if Darnold is right and more wrong, we're going to have a pretty good offense on our hands. As always, we will adjust as more information comes to the table. Andrew, who's your most underutilized player on the Carolina Panthers? We'll go with the, we'll just look at the position. We'll go to the tight end position. Again, last year, they had Ian Thomas running routes. He ranked top 10 in routes run, but he did absolutely nothing with them. His yards per route run was basically one of the worst that I've ever seen. And they added Dan Arnold in the offseason. So the one area that Darnold has had a lot of success is targeting the tight end position. Fourth in adjusted completion percentage, seventh in passer rating, 13th in PFF passing grade when throwing to the tight ends. And Darnold, or excuse me, Dan Arnold, <laughs> Dan Arnold last year was number one at tight end in yards per catch. A dot passer rating generated was third and sixth in yards after the catch per reception. So we have a big play tight end that can make plays down the field through the seam at six foot six. He's versatile. I think that he might actually have a larger role in this offense. Matt rules talked about getting tight ends more involved because they need someone to fill in the underneath targets for Curtis Samuel. I don't think we're just going to see DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall, just like, okay, they're the new slot guy. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to use the tight ends a little bit more and we'll see those receivers move into the slot in and out, kind of rotate, because I think they all can play in the slot at some points. So I think we're going to see more from the tight ends. And Dan Arnold, again, it was kind of an Ian Thomas stand for about 
a week and then i was like you know no, i'm going dan arnold <laughs> so it also works better you got darnold dan arnold i can see the tweets coming out week one when sam darnold plays the jets it's already making my head hurt i know dan arnold pissed a lot of people off in that <laughs> saints like wild card game a few years ago all you dfs uh showdowners that you know saw him drop that touchdown early on ruined the potential for a big day but with the cardinals last year man like he was pretty good i think pro football reference literally just labels him as a wide receiver and i don't disagree with that i mean he's a tight end by a positional designation but i think he certainly plays more like a wide out i'm gonna go with someone that you know isn't exactly not utilized but it's not enough is dj Moore. you know yeah he's fresh off 118 targets but based on what he's been able to do in his career it sure looks like we're looking at one of the you know better up and coming wide receivers you know i know steve smith you know really gave dj props when he got drafted and then a couple years later it's just like i don't know if he can be that number one at the end of the day dj just turned 24 in april man and he's coming off back to back 1100 yard seasons with a group of quarterbacks that is already starting to rival you know the Allen robinson and andre johnson's of the world so dj I just don't exactly see him getting this, you know, 140, 150 target workload that I think his talents warrant. So in a best case scenario, we see him get the majority slot role. We see him use more as a yak monster that he showed off during his first few years in the league. But Andrew, I'm with you. I don't, I've seen a lot of people like just almost put DJ in the slot and like use that as a reason why they're high on him. I mean, I think Terrence Marshall is probably the favorite to start out of the slot. That's where he was utilized plenty at LSU. And if anything, I think it's going to be more of a, you know, just movement like the chiefs do where everyone's playing around robbie anderson was their guy they like to go to in the shorter and intermediate parts of the field last year i understand that we're all still kind of confused by that because we thought it was going to be dj but it's almost like we're making the same mistake for two straight off seasons dj moore someone that i think is one of the prime examples of a great real life player that we got to be a little lower on fantasy than we want to based on the little thing called projected volume Andrew, who's your favorite fantasy value pick on the Panthers? So, so when you're bringing up DJ Moore, so again, I, I still think I'm still in on DJ Moore. Again, this is a different than your take on DJ Moore, which again, we can have differing opinions. But for me, I still think I, <laughs> I still think there's some value with DJ Moore. Just looking at his target share from last year versus 2019, it stayed the same. So the biggest thing was his overall targets went down because he the team threw the ball less like they dropped from third in passing attempts to 22nd in passing attempts so if we see an uptick in overall passing attempts from the offense which i think that we probably should some regression to the mean joe brady in his second year calling plays i think that we might see them throw a little bit more that could help more get more targets in the offense and i think the biggest thing is because moore's target share of 24 percent didn't change year over year i think that means he's probably the safest guy to retain it whereas robbie anderson i think is much more volatile because mccaffrey's coming back so yeah. I, I think that's a that's a huge thing that people need to take into consideration with Robbie Anderson because if we look at his targets last year, half of his targets were from the zero to nine range downfield. Christian McCaffrey in 2019, that's where almost he led the NFL in targets from that range. So Robbie Anderson's 27% target share, fifth in the NFL last season, it was friggin' nuts. But I don't <laughs> think we can just copy and paste that from last year. I still think Moore is going to lead this team in target share again. 10th in receiving yards per game last year. He wins downfield. He wins after the catch. And he was sixth in the, or he led the team in targets during the last six weeks of the year. So, and, and again, honestly, the real selling point too with DJ Moore is I think that the targets will be there. And the freaking opening schedule for the Carolina Panthers is off the charts so good. <laughs> Jets, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, 
Falcons. Like, like if you want, I think the best move with DJ Moore is if you draft him, get him in round five, something like that, round four, round five. I think that he could start off really, really hot because they have a really easy schedule. And then if you want to sell him at a peak value, I think that's the move with DJ Moore and even this, these Carolina Panther receivers in general, because they actually have the easiest schedule through the first six weeks of the year. And then it becomes much harder. So I think we're going to see a lot of Sam Darnold stands come out of the woodwork after the first couple of weeks and be like, he's back, baby. Here we go. And they'll be like, no, you need to sell this team like all day long. Do not buy into the Carolina Panthers long term because I think the schedule is going to help boost a lot of their numbers to start the year. All fair points, which takes me to my favorite fantasy value pick. Terrence Marshall. There's a lot we don't know. And while, you know, again, rational coaching and belief would lead you to believe DJ Moore is going to be the undisputed number one. I mean, we got McCaffrey. We got all. We got Robbie Anderson. We got second round pick Terrence Marshall, man. Like this is a high draft capital rookie that has a seemingly starting spot in the offense that we're just like not really giving him the proper amount of credit, I think, potentially to soup up a large portion of this target share. Who the hell knows? He might come in and take all those Curtis Samuel targets. Like that could be where they're going to. The guy they drafted to replace him. And I believe you said earlier this offseason, like he's someone that could lead the team in touchdowns and it wouldn't be particularly surprising. So Marshall is Someone that, you know, I think a lot of us were hoping maybe go to the Packers. One of these, uh, you know, is the Packers. Who was the other squad? We all wanted a wide receiver to go to. Usually just the Packers. Anyway, didn't go there. And then when we end up in this crowded situation with McCaffrey coming back, we kind of wrote the guy off. But when he's going as cheap as he is, man, like that's still someone with, again, the high draft capital and really just the sort of, you know, big bodied uh, slot guy that I think could win a lot in this offense. So Marshall certainly being priced uh, closer to his floor than ceiling as a number three wide receiver in this offense Andrew what's a wild card scenario you want to run by the loyal listeners of the PFF fantasy football podcast so you did you, you kind of gave it away so it was it was Terrace Marshall leading the team in touchdown oh, receptions okay, because okay. of the things that you kind of mentioned off the top so PFF's third highest graded draft eligible draft eligible receiver in the red zone and that was a big issue for the Panthers last year they were god awful on the red zone Teddy Bridgewater claimed that they didn't practice red zone but the numbers backed it up because his passer rating PFF grade were all dead last last year so again considering Marshall has connections with Joe Brady back to LSU it's hard to imagine them not drawing up plays for this six foot three red zone monster in the end zone so I like Terrace Marshall to get a lot of touchdowns and, and that's kind of why I, I have a lot of him in best ball like he's one of my higher owned best ball wide receivers because I think that these touchdown weeks could lead to spikes in production again the targets are really hard to project which is kind of why he's falling but at the same time he was a first round talent like he definitely should have gone in the first round but he yeah. fell because of injury concerns i remember reading a peter king article about it that the ravens were like locked on to terrace marshall at the end of round one but they kind of backed off went to rashad bateman because of the injuries with terrace marshall so that's why he fell to round two and, and remember guys terrace marshall was the first offensive player that matt rule has drafted they drafted all defensive players in year one. So they have a lot riding on this guy to help this offense take the next step. Obviously, the red zone issues were a big problem last year. And I think Marshall's kind of the perfect fit to kind of fix those problems. Exactly, man. I just wonder if like all of us love DJ Moore a little bit more than the Panthers do. I hope not. They're watching the same guy we're watching. It's just... It's just concerning. All right, my wild card scenario, CMC gets hurt again, and oh, Chuba no. Hubbard, Chuba is forced into the starting role. I would just say, though, I think we could be looking at more of like, a, okay, if CMC goes down, I think Chuba would be like a low-end RB2. I don't think we're looking at another Mike Davis situation because Reggie Bonifant's still there, Trent Cannon's still there. It's not even for sure that Chuba would be the starting running back. I mean, it took, you know, Mike Davis at least a couple games to beat out Reggie Bonifant. I mean, that wasn't exactly a given when 
when uh, the things went down last year. And, you know, even when Davis was out there, it wasn't quite the same every snap role that we see McCaffrey play when he's healthy. So, you know, looking at his kind of stats from Oklahoma State, I think Chuba has the rushing chops for sure, but was really primarily just using the screen game. And as we see with rookie running backs, uh, that can be a big issue for him. So one friend of the podcast, Mike Davis, uh, was on here. He talked about how, you know, in those early career uh, stops he had with the 49ers, with the Seahawks, he really had to just hone in on becoming a three-down back, able to pass, protect, and all that. And I think, you know, the way Chuba's going in some of these drafts, I'm starting to see him creep closer and closer to that premier handcuff territory. I would just say take a step back. Not the worst pick if, you know, you're in one of these 21, 22-round drafts or something. I know it gets dicey in a hurry uh, in those, you know, teen rounds. But I would just caution expectations in a worst-case scenario. I don't think we're looking at the same, uh, you know, potential league-winning upside from the RB2 in Carolina as we saw last year. Andrew, the Panthers over under sits a seven and a half wins. Why are we pounding the under? Two words, Sam Darnold. Yeah. It's it's really that simple. Again, if you can get better odds, if the Panthers start out hot, like I mentioned with the early season schedule being really easy, if they start four and one and you can get longer odds to take the under on their season win total, wait to do that because I think that's kind of how we're going to see this play out because ultimately I think that Sam Darnold is just at best a mediocre quarterback and that's at best because we haven't even seen him be that at the at the nfl level yet so yeah sam darnell quarterback i'm definitely pounding the under and i'm just kind of confused like where how joe brady's already getting crowned as like the next just incredible (laughs) play caller he seems good man but this was the 24th ranked scoring offense last year 17th ranked offense in yards per play i'm aware they enabled four different guys to get over a thousand yards i mean football's about scoring points man they weren't able to do it and when teddy's going over to denver talking about how they never practiced two minute or red zone stuff like i don't know that's a little bit concerning i'm not saying brady's bad i mean i think there is is plenty of promise for him in the future but at the same time when you drop him with a I don't know if he's a guy that's going to elevate awful quarterbacks to being even like mediocre he didn't exactly do it with Teddy last year who I think we saw play better arguably with the Saints when he was under center with them so I'm with you taking the under on the Panthers certainly feel more confident about this one than the Falcons moving right along we're at the New Orleans Saints now what's your defining question Andrew I mean let's be honest it's it's the quarterback battle who's going to be under center who is going to be under center and the market is leaning towards Jameis Winston. I believe it's going to be Jameis Winston. I believe you believe it's going to be Jameis Winston. And I think that's the best case scenario for fantasy football. Again, Taysom Hill on his own is the better quarterback that you'd want to have because he would get all the ju- rushing juice. He would get all the fantasy points. They wouldn't be using Winston in any type of you know wildcat role or anything like that. And you could see Taysom Hill. I mean, he would be a top 12 quarterback, no doubt, if he's the starting quarterback, if Sean Payton comes out and says that. Like, he's going into the top 12. He was over 23 fantasy points per game in his starts last year because of his rushing upside that he offered. But if we want these weapons in the Saints offense to actually do something, we need Jameis Winston in at quarterback. Michael Thomas, like we need these pass catchers to have a guy who can throw the ball downfield. You know, last year, the Saints were actually really run heavy because of Drew Brees' inability to kind of push the ball downfield. It was 28th in neutral game script pass rate, 53%. And that was really different than the past five seasons. They were fourth in neutral game script pass rate over the past four seasons when Drew Brees was actually kind of able to throw the ball downfield. Again, part of that was injury related. He was banged up ribs. He had a shoulder injury. So again, we can't just say because he was, you know, washed up or whatever, but I do think that Winston definitely with his arm talent, I think that he's a really enticing late round quarterback option off the board. I mean, you can get him basically for free as QB 25. And again, 
just one season removed from QB3 overall fantasy finish. So we can see this guy putting up QB1 numbers. It's just a matter of reeling in the interceptions. And after a year off, humbled the guy a little bit, I think. He got his vision fixed. He can see his receivers now. So I like a lot with Jameis Winston. It's just a matter of if it's him and then they use Taysom Hill on like this wildcat roll, yeah. like that is going to cause some issues. So I've seen some people on Twitter be like, oh, how do, why are we all so confident Jameis is going to be the starter? It's because a Saints reporter, Nick Underhill, told us, told this very podcast in March that he considers Jameis to be the front runner and he should likely be the starter. Then he came back in June when he learned more information. We should adjust our opinions as we get more information, people in all walks of life. Definitely fantasy football as well, which is usually our life here. Uh, but anyway, he came back in June and just said, you know, he's not the solidified starter. There is going to be a legit competition. I do think Jameis wins, but you said it, Andrew. If Taysom wins, man, and I, I think he, you can talk about worse, you know, five around best ball picks and Taysom Hill, particularly if, you know, you went pretty weak at the position because yeah, last year in four starts, QB three, QB 11, QB seven and QB nine. And make sure if you haven't, uh, actually it's not, is our, uh, finishes thing live on the site, Andrew, or is that just for us right now? Nope. It's live. Fantasy finishes up on the site. It is fantastic. People. We have a new page underneath our fantasy tools, fantasy finishes as someone that, you know, is looking up this stuff all damn day. Nothing is more annoying than having to go through <laughs> week by week and just seeing, you know, where the guys finished, you know, it takes 10 minutes to be able to, you know, sort out uh, everyone's QB one finishes. We now have this grid where I'm looking at Taysom Hill right now. It's got the week on the vertical axis on the horizontal. It's guys QB one finishes. So you can see that with everyone Dak Prescott last year was 18, one, four, one and 29. Like that's fantastic. That would have taken me three minutes to figure out in the past pff is saving you time so make sure you check that out uh if you're feeling like it but yeah Taysom's under center it's gonna be great for him Jameis under center great for everyone else that's basically the moral of the story with this competition andrew i think i got this one for you most underutilized player why is it deontay harris so i'm actually saving deontay harris as my Whoa. my wild okay. card because i know you gave that in the examples that you sent over when you sent the show <laughs> sheet so i actually i'm gonna look at another player because Again, I am a Deontay Harris truther, Worcester, Massachusetts, proudest player. That's why. So <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense now. Okay, okay. So my player I want to highlight here is another Saints receiver that, again, he could see a bigger role as well, like Deontay Harris. So it's Marquez Callaway. And something that really stood out to him that I noticed was his percentile and how he did against separation last year. So he actually ranked in the 95th percentile in separation while playing 70, 75% of his snaps on the outside. So what we get caught into is a trap sometimes with these separation rates where it's just slot receivers. It's like, okay, we get that. It's really easy to get more separation working from the slot. That's why you have, oh, Randall Cobb, like number one. It's like, okay, but that's not really telling us the whole story. Yeah. Callaway was playing on the outside and was getting separation. Like that's a really good thing to call out about him. He came from Tennessee. He was a rookie last year. And again, we've talked about Josh Palmer on the podcast. Also a guy from Tennessee. Again, quarterback play was terrible, which is why Marcus Callaway has basically no draft capital attached to his name. But he did have one game last year when injuries happened. He saw 10 targets. Traquan Smith never had 10 targets in a game last year because he's not that good. Like, I'm just going to say it straight out. Tra Traquan Smith is just hasn't been that good with the opportunities he's received. So Callaway wasn't used as a deep threat last year because of the way that the offense operated. Last year at Tennessee, 18.5 average depth of target. He's a guy that can win downfield, and I think that fits really well with Jameis Winston. So if it's not Deontay Harris, who we'll get into a little bit later, 
I would probably bet on Marcus Callaway. Again, Traquan Smith, I'll just mention this off the top. So since 2019, Traquan Smith ranks 122nd in yards per route run, second to last in target rate per route run among 145 qualifying wide receivers. I think we've seen him get the opportunities. Like this isn't anything new with Traquan Smith and he just has yet to do anything with them. So I'm ready to look at some of these other players on the Saints that haven't seen opportunities that have done a little bit more with the limited action that they've seen. We'll talk more about Harris in a second, but it's a good point of separation stuff. I saw uh, underdog fantasies, Hayden Wanks doing some good notes on this where what we need is like a separation over expected metric. I think that's where it would be good because right now, just pure separation. We see these like random ass tight ends leading the metric <laughs> because they just get these dump downs when the defense wants them to get dump downs. I think one of the examples Hayden used was like this Vance McDonald play where it was like third and 20, you know, all defenders were playing like the first down. Ben dumped it down to, uh, you know, Vance McDonald. And there was 10 yards between him and the closest <laughs> defender. And he got like eight, but it was, you know, 10 yards short. That's going in the book as this great stat. I mean, I remember Jimmy Graham infamously led next-gen stats and separation <laughs> in 2019. Like, when you see Jimmy Graham leading your damn stat in anything these days, you know there's something wrong with it. So, the idea of separation, we all get it. Our ability to properly measure right now, I still think, leads uh, something to be desired. All right. Favorite fantasy value pick. I'm going to go on my spiel here first. I think it's Latavius Murray. He seems to be falling more and more to the bottom of the handcuff pool. Tony Pollard has been consistently going like three, four rounds ahead of this guy. And I think if either Zeke or Kamara get hurt, Pollard, Latavius, they're going to be RB1s. Pollard, probably a little higher ceiling, but Latavius would be there as well. Only two times we've seen Kamara hurt Pollard, I mean, excuse me, Murray, turned in top three performances back-to-back -back weeks in uh, that 2019 season. And he is actually one of, if not the only handcuff, with all due respect to Kareem Hunt, who probably shouldn't even be called a handcuff. He's uh, you know, just a standalone value in his own right. Latavius gets like 10, 12 rush attempts per game a lot of times. You can actually still get some flex value out of him. And last year when Taysom was under center, each of Taysom, Latavius, and Kamara had between 39 and 50 carries. So there's a reason why Kamara's never had over 200 carries in a year, mostly because Latavius Murray so he has that sky high upside not bad floor as well and I think that he's going a little bit slept on you can get him like late in a uh, dynasty drafts too which I get it he's aging and old but man at least for the next couple years maybe two more years uh, like I still think you have someone with a pretty nice uh, best case scenario on his plate I do think that makes a lot of sense. I don't understand a lot of the Tony Pollard I get the allure of Tony Pollard and the idea behind it but look the reality is Ezekiel Elliott has missed one game in his career that because of an injury, yeah. like one game and Kamara has missed way more games than that. So if you're betting on a guy to get hurt, it's probably going to be Kamara, not Ezekiel Elliott. So totally get you there with Latavius Murray being a value for my value pick. It goes back to 2020's number one ranked wide receiver, Michael Thomas, because it seems like everyone's just like, well, whatever, throw that out the bag. Like doesn't matter anymore. He lost Drew Brees, which apparently is a huge downgrade now that he's going to have a guy who threw for 5,000 yards. I just don't understand why Michael Thomas is following so much. Again, last year when he was healthy, at the healthiest we saw in weeks 11 through 14 with a combination of Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, Michael Thomas, 33% target share, 90.5 PFF receiving grade, an average 2.86 yards per route run, which was better than his career average, which was 2.45. So again, the touchdowns weren't there, but that's no reason why we can't necessarily just be like, oh, well, Michael Thomas, you know, round three guy, like he should really be up there with all the other guys. Like really nothing has changed that much. I get the quarterback is different, but there is an argument to be made where Winston can actually elevate Michael Thomas because, okay, maybe he doesn't see as many targets, but now he's seeing more targets downfield. Thomas yeah. has the number one ranked catch rate 
on throws 15 plus yards downfield, nearly six percentage points higher than the next closest guy who is Tyreek Hill. He's one drop on his 156 targets of 15 plus yards downfield. So Michael Thomas, don't look people don't talk about him as a deep threat because he's got this slant boy slander <laughs> crap all over him. But he's going to shock people this year when he takes balls to the house after he wins on fades and things with Jameis Winston. So I think it's going to be special to see him and Winston uh, hook up this year. Every day I just wake up and pray to the football gods that Michael Thomas's ankle will be okay because I'm with you, man. Our uh, fine social media folks took, you know, our rankings that we all submitted for our PFF fantasy uh, dr- uh, draft guide, to looked at consensus, and my four wide receivers I am higher on than consensus are just much more higher on. Michael Thomas is my wide receiver six, Deontay Johnson, OBJ, and Devontae Smith. So, yeah, man, one year removed from an overall wide receiver one uh, finish, the guy should be getting way more respect than he is at the moment. I would say, uh, you know, moving out right along to our wild card scenarios, you're going to talk about Deontay. We got to give Traquan Smith a little bit of love, though. I understand he hasn't broken out uh, before. This is an offense, though, with Jameis under center. And we saw what he did last time. He had two high-end receivers at his disposal. I'm not going to go as far as saying Traquan's high-end. But, man, like, I just feel like the hype was starting to build in the earlier part of the offseason. We got, like, a March report that the Saints were, you know, pretty excited about Traquan and started to die off a little bit. And I just think that, in terms of who we should most likely expect to be their number two is Traquan. He's been the guy out there more often than not. You know, he's not this pint-sized dude like Deontay. He's not, you know he has more draft capital and just more experience in the system than Callaway. So Traquan is someone where, again, in those teen rounds of your draft, I think you can do worse than a potential starting receiver, a likely, I should say, starting receiver on the Saints. But Andrew, let's talk about Deontay Harris. And I have one quick stat to get you started. I pulled this up because, oh my goodness, man, does this dude know how to break a tackle? He only has 35 catches, including the playoffs, but he has broken a tackle. He has averaged 0.43 broken tackles per reception. That is so that's more than point one ahead of Debo Samuel, who's second in 173 player sample. I know a lot of these, you now his average target depth is only four yards, so he's just kind of getting more or less like running back looks. But Deontay Harris, man, he might be small, but this dude is slippery in space. Slippery, electric, great punt returner. And that's something that we look for in some of these deep sleeper targets is guys that flash on special teams. Like that's how Tyreek Hill made his staple on the league when he first came in as a later round pick. Again, he had he fell in the draft for off the field issues, but again, he flashed as a punt returner, kick returner, and that's what Deontay Harris has done. And Harris has made the most of his opportunities. 26th in yards per route run since 2019, 18th in target rate per route run. So when he's on the field, they're actually featuring him as part of the offense. So again, the guy runs a 4-3-5. Like the guy has he's the fastest guy on the Saints. Like, like no doubt in my mind, he's the fastest guy on the Saints from point A to point B. So again, I think the overlying message from here is behind Michael Thomas, there are a lot of values some of these Saints receivers, whether it be any of the three receivers we named or Adam Troutman, who doesn't really fit any of these categories, but is someone that you definitely need (laughs) to draft. Uh, I just want to mention this off top fun stat since 2015, Jameis Winston targeting tight ends in the red zone, 32 touchdowns, zero picks, zero interceptions for Jameis Winston targeting the tight end in the red zone. Adam Troutman, baby, step up. You found a Jameis stat with zero interceptions, man. There should be like a, you know, like once you finish off the query and a PFF ultimate, like, you know, balloons start showing or something like that. Fantastic. Yeah, good call on Adam Troutman. We talk about him plenty on here, but yes, we are both team tight end one Adam Troutman. Takes us to our over under though, Andrew. Nine wins for the Saints over under in 2021. 
I'm going to go with the over nine wins. I, I am confident that Sean Payton can right the ship with whoever is at quarterback, whether it's Winston, whether it's Taysom Hill, because it's what he's done the past couple of years. Like he's been playing with backup quarterbacks all the time, and yet they've won at least 11, 11 uh, games in the past four straight seasons in a 16-game year. Their over win total is at nine right now. So again, the Saints were 12-4 last year, be, despite all the injuries that Breeze played through, despite losing their best wide receiver and, and losing multiple receivers. Emmanuel Sanders missed time. Traquan Smith missed time. You know, they had a ton of injuries last year. So I think that the Saints still find a way to get over nine wins. Yeah, I take the over as well. I think nine's a really good number. And the big thing, I mean, the only times we've seen Sean Payton fail to reach that mark since 2009 was from 2014 and 2016. We got three straight seven and nine seasons. And in those years, I mean, we were looking at the 31st, 30, or excuse me, 28, 32nd, 31st ranked scoring defense. Since then, 10th, 14th, 13th, and 5th. So I do think, even if they're not going to probably be a top five scoring defense again next year, this still isn't the same, you know, just really rough group that we saw in years past. And our own PFF's Eric Eager, I remember just talking to him randomly on a Sunday last year, and he brought up the point how the Saints just have this offense where it's very easy. They Peyton has figured out how to win double-digit games on a yearly basis in the NFL. That's why Taysom Hill comes off in, like, completion percentage as one of the most accurate QBs in the league, even though we all know that is completely ridiculous. It's because this scheme is made to score points. And with even an average defense, I think they can get to nine wins. So I would take the over as well. Are they going to have pl- any more playoff success than we've seen in past years? I do not think so. But we're just talking regular season here. Andrew, we have reached the final team of the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What's your defining question for the reigning, defending Super Bowl champions? Are there any reliable fantasy options in this offense that, dare I say, has too many mouths to feed potentially because that's the biggest question mark with this team and necessarily again i'm using a cliche because i don't necessarily believe it but at the same time that is something we need to evaluate because there are so many great pieces of this offense i think that the approach to it again the pff projections have tom brady literally leading the league in pass attempts and considering tampa is the only team along with the falcons to throw 600 plus times and back-to-back the past two seasons like the volume is going to be there so i don't think you should buy into the okay there's too many mouths to feed in this offense because this offense has the most passing volume to give because tom brady doesn't run like tom brady's going to pass the ball like it's going to happen he's going to be efficient with his pass unless he just totally falls off a cliff which again it's there's really no point in betting on that happen because once it happens it's just going to happen like there's really no projector for us to kind of identify with tom brady's going to hit the cliff because he's the most outlier player of basically ever. So for me, I, I just think that the approach with the Bucks is souping, or, uh, scooping up value with some of these guys going later because of question marks about oh, who's going to be the starting running back. You know, uh, right now it's really Mike Evans and Chris Godwin that are kind of piped up as the top two guys. And even I think that Godwin is better value than Mike Evans. I think that Antonio Brown is a screaming value. Like there's a lot of other values you can get later in drafts because One thing to point about this team, you know, this was the healthiest team last year in terms of injuries. And that's something that's really hard to repeat year over year. So just one injury away from one of these other backup players that are all really good. Like there's just so much depth on this team that you're going to get a screaming value with one of these later round Bucks players that may not look great for week one, but it's going to look really great down the stretch. 
Yeah, I just can't get over how Brady was able to limit the mistakes as well as he did last year. I mean, the really cool stat we had before the season was how only three quarterbacks had had at least 40 turnover-worthy plays from 2010 to 2020. And there were Carson Palmer, James Winston, Andrew Luck, all in their first seasons under Bruce Arians. What does Tom Brady do? He leads the NFL in lowest turnover-worthy play rate. And he didn't, because I've tweeted out the stat before, and some people say like, well, and they're just asking questions. I get it. We should question these uh, sort of stats. But they said, well, you know, Brady came in and was running his, you know, offense. He checks the ball down more. No, this dude had a top two average target depth. He had his highest average target depth of his career. Excuse me, since 2003. Excuse me, since 2003. <laughs> but either way, like he was chucking the rock downfield. Arm looked great. He had the brief dry spell in the middle of the year. That was more due to timing, I think, getting AB in the offense. So, yeah, will father time catch up to Tom Brady this year or ever? I don't really know. That's the only way I see this group really busting. Or to your point, you know, maybe guys get injured. Either way, things we can't exactly predict with any sort of confidence. So, yeah, don't have a ton of targets or rush attempts to go around for everybody because of so many mouths to feed. Should still be anyone's idea of a top three scoring offense. Andrew, most underutilized player. Why is it Scotty Miller? No, I'm sipping. I'm oh. sipping the OJ. I'm I'm fading the Kool Aid. I'm sipping the OJ. OJ okay. Howard okay. is definitely the player that I want as underutilized because this guy in 2018 was PFF's second highest graded tight end. And I remember I drafted him like way too high in the next year, and he absolutely burned me because he just wasn't used the way that I thought he was going to be used because he's so talented. And again, this is the tight end curve that we talk about. It just takes some of these tight ends just a long time to get acclimated to the NFL level. But last year, it looked like he was on an upward trajectory, ranked 30 yards per route run. It was the Buccaneers' most targeted tight end before his injury in week four. You know, he was playing ahead of Rob Rob Gronkowski was out there blocking. And we were like, okay, he he came out of retirement to become a blocker. Is that his new role? So that's not out of the range of outcomes. Like there's... It's possible that Gronkowski goes back to that role with Howard now healthy. And the way that the ADPs are set up, it's like, no, Gronkowski's the guy. OJ Howard is totally forgotten about as an 18th round pick. And look, Gronkowski played 16 games last year for only the second time in his entire NFL career. This guy has like four back surgeries on his resume. So call me, I'm a little bit skeptical that he's going to be able to play another full 17 game season when you have this young athletic tight end coming off the bench who just had four games. Again, the injury, it's an Achilles injury. Modern medicine does has done a lot of great things. So we'll see how he comes back from that injury, but he's free. Like he's totally free. And I've also heard some rumors. Our guy, uh, PFF Brad, our salary cap expert has written about Cameron Brate being a potential cut candidate as well. So more opportunities for the tight end position. OJ Howard, I think that it makes a lot of sense for him. I think that he could have a bigger... I mean, of guys going outside the top 12 tight ends of who I would bet on to finish top 12 would probably be OJ Howard. I like that call. He was actually my favorite fantasy value pick, so I'll go right on and talk about what you just said, too. In those first four games, Howard had 18 targets, Gronk 14, break two. It wasn't like they were just easing Gronk into the lineup, though. I mean, he still had 77%, 69%, 93%, 86% snap rates in those games. They were just using him as a blocker. I mean, OJ was giving them more of a seam-stretching threat than Gronk was, at least in that early part of the season. And he was the PPR tight end 17 during that stretch on pace for 72 
two targets. So, you know, we're taking a little bit of a chance here. But yeah, it's not like Gronk has actually, you know, earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of staying on the field. And if we could remove Bray from the equation, great, man, because that's been the only thing holding Howard back. And it's not that Bray's bad. It's like one of these, you know, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones situations where we just want the starter to get all the targets, not half of them. Because every damn time I do this like end zone touchdown conversion study, I see Cam Bray popping as the most like, you know, consistent guy at converting their red zone targets into touchdowns, even better than all these great wide receivers. So, you know, maybe a little fluky, but he's making the catches. He does not suck by any stretch of the imagination. But if we can get OJ those targets he deserves, uh, you know, certainly be something that I think fantasy managers would love, particularly at cost. I do want to briefly talk about Scotty Miller, one of just 11 players at his position to average at least 25 air yards per reception last year. He continues to be one of my favorite picks in the last round of fantasy drafts because he might be the premier uh, handcuff wide receiver this year. If any of AB, Evans, Goblin go down and we can get Scotty over 50% snap rate, look out. I mean, he already had five more than solid games last year where he was clearing, uh, you know, 70 yards or scoring a touchdown. It just takes one or two plays with him. And as long as that Brady arm strength doesn't fall off a freaking, you know, roof, which we didn't see any reason to expect that. I mean, last I saw him on social media, he threw a ball to the freaking moon. So as long as he can keep doing that, Scotty Miller, even if he doesn't get quite as much usage as we like, should still be popping. Uh, that's one of the more fun in-game, not in-game, but uh, if, you're, if you're a prop betting man or woman, go on, bet Scotty Miller's like just over on the receiving yards, only need one catch to get there or he doesn't get targeted and you just hate yourself afterwards andrew talk to me about your favorite fantasy value pick on the tampa bay buccaneers it's antonio brown because and this is something we've talked about on the podcast a lot because we have these target distributions where when brown joined the team last year it was flat across the board it was not godwin or evans or brown like leading the teams in targets it was pretty much flat across the board and after joining the bucks in week nine antonio brown led the team in target rate per outrun PFF receiving grade and fantasy points per snap. So Brown, you know, credit to him. You know, he was, I don't know what he was doing, but clearly he was still working out and practicing because he came into the offense and it took him a couple of weeks to get acclimated. But once he was acclimated to the offense, he was balling out. So I think that Antonio Brown, like in a lot of the situations, we had a, I had a question in the PFF discord about, you know, these three receiver trios. And basically a lot of situations we're seeing like the top two guys kind of like near each other. And then just one third guy near like, 30 plus picks or, or four or five rounds later and it's like if you're not can't decide who to pick like just take the later guy because even if you're wrong it doesn't hurt you in the long run like yeah. that and tony brown may not be the leading receiver on the bucks but he doesn't have to be where you're getting him whereas if you draft evans you draft godwin up in rounds four and five like those guys need to deliver high target shares to be fantasy producers whereas antonio brown's like all right didn't work out all right move on but if you've if godwin or evans busts for your team like that's going to hurt you in the long run. So I think that's just a, a good strategy to keep in mind. You know, another example is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like I'm not particularly like favorable of Marvin Jones, but I also understand that him and Chark could be basically equal across the board. And Marvin Jones goes like 40 picks after DJ, DJ Chark. So I think that's a good strategy for just kind of churning out value in drafts. I mean, AB's last four seasons on the field. 2017, leads the NFL in receiving yards. 2018, leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns. 2019, four catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown on 24 snaps before he misses the rest of the year. And last year, wide receiver 23 in PPR points per game, yet he's going almost 20 spots underneath that in these drafts. I understood the hesitation in March and April. Is he going to be back? Is the knee okay? Uh, you know, is he going to get in any more off-the-field trouble? Every single news we've gotten about 
AB for the better part of a year has been nothing but good news. So if you want to, you know, just not draft, uh, you know, people that you don't exactly like their off the field choices, then fine, do that. But just realize in terms of just looking at what we're expecting him to produce on the field compared to where he's going, AB continues to be a fantastic value in fantasy drafts of all shapes and sizes. Andrew, I have a good wild card scenario here. I think Giovanni Bernard could get cut and we see them just go back to Leonard Fournette, Rojo, 2RB, City, Keyshawn Vaughn stays on special teams. Like, okay, it's a one-year, 1.2 million contract, 850K guaranteed, not nothing, but it wouldn't be the craziest release I think we've ever seen in the world. Maybe he's not cut. Maybe he's just, you know, a healthy scratch. Like Rashawn McCoy was supposed to be their pass down guy last year. I think Gio at this point in his career, probably more reliable and, uh, you know, than, than Shady. But we saw him relegated out of the offense. And I think Shady does have better hands than Rojo and Fournette. Maybe, you know, Arians is just so, you know, just over, overcome by how good Lombardi Lenny was in that playoff stretch and what Rojo could do on the ground that he sticks with the two RB system. I don't know. I would say, though, when you're, you know, zero RB drafting and stuff, whenever I, you know, I've had articles in the 49ers and Tampa Bay backfields and the social team asks everyone, you know, who do you want from this group? And everyone says, nobody, it's too crowded. That's why they're as cheap as they are, which makes them okay because you're drafting them at their floor compared to their ceiling. So, Fournette, Rojo, I would take Rojo over Fournette, but we're digging Fournette on the idea that Gio's going to take a lot of this target share. I'm not so sure that's a guarantee. What is your wild card scenario? What if Giovanni Bernard does take on that target share? <laughs> there we go. We've, had, we've had a couple of these. I like it. Same thing with and the Mike Ronald Davis Jones one. takes over early down backs, and Leonard Fournette just basically falls out of favor in the entire offense. Because, look, Rojo, PFF's fifth highest graded running back, for the first 14 weeks of the year. You know, he was a monster and it was until he basically got injured and got COVID after week 14 that Leonard Fournette even really got to play. And there's no debate who was the better rusher because Fournette 3.8 yards per carry, 45th. Jones was averaging 5.1 yards per carry behind the same freaking offensive line. So I'm not going to say yards per carry is super predictive, but when it's the same guys playing in the same offense, it does help you kind of identify, okay, well, Ronald Jones is probably the better early down back. And I think the biggest thing with Giovanni Bernard, because I think that's really the biggest question, because if he gets cut, it's like, okay, we can then look at Keyshawn Vaughn now as a potential, maybe he's someone that can have a larger role because I liked him a lot early on but it just like it seems like the team just does not like him whatsoever so it's really hard to get behind him but bernard one of the things i point out about him third highest graded pass blocking running back last year for Fournette finished 41st out of 42 qualifying running backs look if you get tom brady hit your 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 butt is hitting the bench like that's the big problem that i could see with with leonard Fournette, and i think brady's gonna play a role in this i mean he seems like he has a role in personnel moves if Brady wants Giovanni Bernard on the field on third downs and that's going to be his James White then we could see Bernard actually have a sneaky role in this offense but like you said the contract does not say that he's going to have a role whatsoever but it's worth taking shots on some of these Buccaneers running backs because Bernard you can get super super late if he does have a James White role he's going to really pay off his ADP and again last year as well we saw Bernard at least when he had a 40% snap share, average 14.5 fantasy points per game, 17.6 opportunities per game without Joe Mixon. So Bernard, as a third down back, he also has some sneaky three down back ability with a team that's featured. If they're just like over Jones and Fournette, like Bernard could turn into that. Like Bernard has a huge range of outcomes where he could be an RB1 on the Bucks or he could literally be on the street. So, but it's not reason to necessarily ignore him entirely. 
I'm just waiting for the August Bruce Aarons quotes, how, you know, he's going to guarantee dozens of touches for Rojo, <laughs> Fournette. We'll get 10 targets for Gio. Keyshawn gets some snaps too. We shall see. But now you're 100% right about Rojo just being better, even including playoffs. I mean, Rojo, yards per carry, yards after contact per carry, missed tackles, fours, PFF rushing grade. Rojo is the better ball carrier. Fournette is the better receiver by default because I'm not sure if you could name a receiving running back worse than Ronald Jones at this point. But yes, Giovanni Bernard, certainly wide range of outcomes. Andrew, over under is 12 wins. What do you got? I'm just going to go under because 12 wins is so high. That's that's the only thing with, yeah. with how high it is. Again, like it looks like the perfect picture. And this reminds me so much of that Eagles team where it seemed like they had so much depth and then they just got hit by injuries and it just all fell apart. So there's just a lot of scenarios where things can unravel in one way or another. I know I mentioned that the Bucks were the healthiest team last year. You know, we saw what happened when offensive line got banged up last year and Brady crumbled when yep. they didn't have a good offensive line. So I think that's one of the things that I have an issue. Again, I, th- I first saw this line at 11 and a half and I took the over there. But with it at 12, I was like, yeah. I think I'll go. I think I, I, so I think the smart move is tw- is under. But at the same time, it is Tom Brady. And he could literally try to be like, no, we're going 17 and 0. Like, I don't care. Yeah, this is another one I'm not betting. I would not advise anyone to bet, you know. Since we're putting our, uh, you know, since we're putting a guess out there, I would say over because I do think they should be the overwhelming favorite to win this division. But if I was going to bet on anything, it'd be the division bet itself, which we will get to in just a second. Andrew, before we wrap up this podcast, I want to quickly get your picks for the highest scoring fantasy player at each position. So just rattle those off quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So we're going to go with Calvin Ridley as the highest scoring wide receiver. We'll go with McCaffrey. As the highest scoring running back, we're going to go with Tom Brady as the highest scoring quarterback. And at tight end, I guess by default, I have to pick Kyle Pitts. <laughs> four for four. I hear you. I, you know, we'll just add in that Taysom actually could make some noise yes. in that quarterback conversation if he wins the job. You know, if Adam Troutman beats Kyle Pitts, we'll be pretty happy. I don't exactly see it happening, but, you know, maybe if you can run the season a hundred times, it happens once or twice. And, uh, you know, with me having Ridley, wide receiver five, Michael Thomas, wide receiver six. Look, they're both proven stud receivers that are the undisputed number one wide out in their offense. We could see them clear 150 targets easily. And, you know, depending on how Matt Ryan and uh, Taysom or Jameis are performing, we could see them even soar to number one spot in the entire league. Wouldn't be wild. Andrew, what's your pick for the division? The current odds via DraftKings Sportsbook, Buccaneers minus 160, Saints plus 300, Falcons plus 800, and Panthers plus 850. It's funny because as great as the Buccaneers were last year, they won the Super Bowl, they didn't win the division. And I think that's just going to piss off Tom Brady to a point where he's like, I still haven't won an NFC division title. I need to win that, put that up with all my AFC division titles. So I'm going to just take the chalk with the Bucs. I kind of like that minus 160 odds. I mean, that's not too bad. I kind of thought this would have started with a two. So I'd be more down to pound uh, Tampa Bay minus 160 than they're over at 12. I'm also sticking with the chalk. Uh, just give me the bucks. Most They return every single Super Bowl starter. Like, I just don't, I can't get around that. And like, other than just saying they can't be as healthy as last year or Brady can't be this good forever. It's just a lot of things that we don't have control of. And like, it's, you know, we're going to be wrong on some of these picks. Believe it or not, people, we are not going to nail every single one of uh, the things we've gone over today Uh, i'm just trying to stick to things we can at least see analyze quantify as much as possible people i hope you enjoyed the show and if you did i just want to note that 
Finally, fantasy football season is here, and we are now offering 40% off any PFF subscription to all first-time subscribers with promo code SAVE40. Get access to PFF's fantasy football draft guide, complete with our player rankings and projections, college football preview magazine, and the first edition of the 2022 NFL Draft Guide, all of PFF's locked article content. Again, that's promo code SAVE40 for 40% off any PFF subscription. Get access to all of PFF's fantasy tools for just $5.99. Once you find those tools, once you get your strategy, please head on over to Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do. But that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge and subscription as promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. You got another Underdog stream tonight, Andrew? Yes. Will you be joining in? No, I'm actually going to be at Fleetwood Love, a Fleetwood Mac cover band that my Ooh. cousin's lovely wife, uh, Erica Prem, is Stevie Nicks for. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also moving to Cincinnati. So I got a lot of uh, random stuff going on here. My room is empty. Uh, disappointing. <laughs> you got your Josh Gordon jersey up as always, but yes. I'm in an empty room. I got PFF Lily snoozing at my feet, so she's kind of, you know, she doesn't have her usual couch situation. It's uh, tough times at the Hardens household, but we are persevering. What do you got in the docket the rest of the week? Just more team previews, releasing um, some updates on some rankings. PPR rankings are going to be coming out on Friday. By the time you guys are listening, those will be up on the website because things have been shifting around. You know, the fade running backs movement is strong over on the best ball street. So you got to adjust the ranks accordingly. And yeah, more team previews coming out. So again, we talked about these teams up here. If you want more in-depth analysis on some of these AF NFC South teams, it's up on the website. Team previews. You can find it on PFF.com. Keep grinding, my man. You can all find Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. I'm at iHeartits. As always, thank you all for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every single day. And as I said, we'll get these uh, team preview series going out every Friday up until the season. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody. 